0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pardichese, and thank you for joining me as always. NFL free agency has been in high gear since Monday monster trades throughout the NFL landscape. The impact it has had in terms of dynasty values, in terms of the NFL draft has been great. And I'm here tonight to break it all down with you, to give you a little bit of a distraction from everything else that is going on in the world around us. Please, to all our listeners, to all our followers, please stay safe uh, and hopefully You know, with all the football news going out there, it's a small welcome distraction amongst all the other chaoticness that is surrounding us. Please make sure you're doing the social distancing. Stay at home. Be with your family. uh, Be with your close ones. uh, Listen to podcasts. Watch TV you know, follow everything that's going on in the world and and give yourself a little bit of a distraction by following the football stuff as well. uh, And spend as much time with your loved ones as possible uh, as we kind of wait it out and and see what happens in in terms of all of this. So let's get right into it because it is really, I'm recording this on Wednesday, uh, late afternoon, early evening. So there has been a lot to break down in terms of What has happened since the legal tampering period started, you know, Monday afternoon at noon? We'll kind of group this by position a little bit, but obviously some of the moves will have impacts throughout the positions. So I'll talk all about. Any, anything that's an effect of a move, I'll talk all about it in one time rather than circling back to it. So let's start right at the top. I mean, I don't think there's anywhere else to start except Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL, choosing to leave the New England Patriots and continue his career with the Tampa Bay Bucks. When I look at this, I think the impact that this has in terms of dynasty value is, I think, stock up on Tom Brady in the short term. You know, Obviously, he's not much of a dynasty asset, but if you're talking about the next year or two, I think Brady has a chance with the weapons in Tampa Bay to be a better fantasy producer than what we saw in New England. I think this now keeps him more on the fringe QB1 spectrum, and there'll be some weeks that he might be a definite you know, high or mid QB one. Other weeks, maybe a high quarterback too, but I think his ceiling and his floor are considerably higher with Tampa Bay than they would have been with New England. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. A, the playmakers around him to Tampa Bay's defense and scheme on defense is nowhere near as good as New England. So I think that will put him into a little bit more of some shootout scenarios. So I think stock up in the short term on Tom Brady. In terms of the ramifications of him going there, in terms of the other buck skill players, I think it, it, there's no way to look at this and say it's not a little bit of a stock down or a hit on Mike Evans. Mike Evans is a guy who wins at the catch point, who does most of his damage, you know, winning, going up vertically even down the field vertically wins with his body wins with going up and high pointing the ball, his body control his physicality and his toughness. Like we talked about last year with Nikhil Harry, when I said, I thought it was a horrific landing spot with Tom Brady and the Patriots. Brady's not really ever been that guy besides when he had Randy Moss and Rob Gronkowski in their prime to just throw it up and let playmakers go get it. So, I think Mike Evans is going to see a little bit more of inconsistency because he's not playing with a guy like Jameis Winston, who was willing to take chances after chances and you know just throw it up and let Mike Evans make plays at times. And it led to a lot. So I think Evans will still be very good. I think he'll be more wide receiver two than wide receiver one. I think he'll still have wide receiver one weeks. Uh So I think he'll still be a guy who is probably going to be a high wide receiver too when it's all said and done. But I think it's going to be very inconsistent week to week with Mike Evans. I don't think it's going to be as as routine as maybe we saw with Jameis Winston. So I think stock down a little bit on Mike Evans, as crazy as that is going from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady. Chris Godwin, I think, is probably around the same as he was with Jameis Winston, I think where he wins on the football field will mesh well with Tom Brady. But I do think we can't underestimate the fact that Jameis Winston and his very lazy for, uh, fair attitude with the football led to a lot of turnovers led to the bucks getting behind, and then led to a lot of garbage time and catch up mode. Tom Brady will protect the football as good as any quarterback in the NFL as his history and his statistics show so i don 't know if Tampa Bay is going to be. As routinely in catch up mode in these shootouts, I still think their defense is not very good. So I do think they're, but they were improving as the year went on. So I still think that there'll be some more high scoring games in Brady's future. But I do think overall the wide receivers are impacted in the opportunities. Now I think Brady will be way more efficient than Jameis Winston. But I mean, look at Jameis Winston's numbers. There's no way Tom Brady's numbers are going to. Even remotely approach probably Jameis Winston in terms of pass attempts, in terms of yards. So, you know, the overall opportunity and amount of passes is going to go down. So we, anyone who owns Godwin and Mike Evans is going to have to hope that more efficient leads to consistent fantasy production. But I think it's to be determined. I think if you're a Mike Evans and a, and a Chris Godwin owner, going from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady actually makes you a little bit more concerned than if they ran it back with Jameis Winston this year. I think in terms of the run game, whether it's Ronald Jones, uh, and I'll talk more about the run game later, I think having uh, Tom Brady will benefit whoever the running back is in Tampa Bay. I think they'll be more efficient, like I mentioned. I think there might be more opportunities for uh, goal line rushing touchdowns. I think the games will be closer because they won't fall as far behind and have to be playing catch-up mode. So I think whoever ends up taking the Lions share of carries for the Bucs, I think it will get a boost with Tom Brady being in that offense. As for OJ Howard, I think his stock goes up, even though the Bruce Arians scheme wasn't very favorable to tight ends. Tom Brady is a guy who has utilized his tight ends obviously, a lot during his tenure in New England and because he's not a guy who pushes the ball vertically down the field, this is not going to be Bruce Arian's traditional offense. He is bringing Tom Brady in there knowing that Brady is not the ideal fit for his scheme. He's going to let Tom Brady run whatever scheme he's most comfortable with, and they are going to cater, cater, without a doubt, to Tom Brady's skill set. So I think this is definite stock up and an opportunity for O.J. Howard maybe to get back into the good graces of the fantasy landscape and potentially be one of the the most pleasant surprises this year and maybe get back to being that tight end one that I think so many people, and maybe even the top six or top eight tight end, which most people expected last year. So I think a lot of ramifications there on the New England side. I think it's hard to really know yet because we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I would have to think in the short term, it's definitely stocked down on Julian Edelman. The relationship and the connection that him and Brady had was very special in terms of just understanding each other, the route concepts. So I I have it a hard time to believe whoever ends up being the quarterback, whether it's Jared Stidham, whether they bring in a veteran, I have a hard time thinking whoever they bring in is going to have the, the connection or the rapport with Julian Edelman in such a short order. So I think it's just it just makes sense that Julian Edelman's value is probably going to dip a little bit. He still should see a lot of targets, but I just don't think it's going to be as consistent as when Brady was there. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, he might not be that rock solid wide receiver too, that we've been so accustomed to with a lot of wide receiver one weeks in there as well. It, he might take a little bit of a dip and be a lot more inconsistent week to week, but that is to be determined until we see who's there. Uh, as I mentioned before, if we stay on the quarterbacks, uh, other quarterback news to obviously discuss is Philip Rivers going to Indianapolis. Interesting there. I think I don't think it really moves the needle much with the Colts pass catchers. Too much. I understand Jacob. I think Philip Rivers has obviously got more left in terms of uh, the passing value than Jacoby Brissett. But I don't think this is. I don't think Philip Rivers has a lot left in the tank. I think he might improve. Ty Hilton a little bit. They might be more willing to pass a little bit more than they were with Jacoby Brissett and and tr- and trust Philip Rivers. But I think. I still think they're going to be a run focused team and they think Phillip Rivers can just do a better job passing when they need to, but they've improved their defense with the trade of DeForest Buckner, which I'll talk about in a second. So I do think, I don't think Phillip Rivers is going to throw as much as he did with Los Angeles. So while I think he's a better thrower at the moment than Jacoby Brissett, I'm not sure it means that the Colts pass catchers dramatically changed their value. I think I like T.Y. Hilton a little bit more, but I don't think it really moves the needle too much in terms of that regard. Uh, I do think, though, that the all-around impact of the Philip Rivers trade, I mean, Phillip Rivers signing, followed by trading pick thirteen to get a star defensive player in DeForest Buckner, does change the NFL draft narrative a lot because the Colts seem to be that team that a lot of people were penciling in for maybe wanting to go after a quarterback. You heard a lot of connections between them and Jordan Love. Now without that first round pick they're out of the quarterback market. Maybe they see somebody on day 2, a Jacob Eason falls, a Jake Fromm somewhere on day 2, maybe they're intrigued by somebody like that, but I don't think that's a guy who you're going to pencil in, you know, even in year 2, even if Philip Rivers is only there for year 1. So I think it takes them out of the top end quarterback market without that first round pick. So I think that does impact the first round a little bit because you had those teams you know, picking, you know, in the, in those teams that you thought were very much interested in picking quarterbacks. So I think the Colts now out of that, you know, really changes the narrative a little bit. So, so that's something that, the impact of the Philip Rivers signing, followed by the DeForest Buckner trade, and it wasn't just a Rivers signing. If they still had their first round pick, I would think that it is very possible that they still would have taken a quarterback, even with Philip Rivers in the fold. But now, without without uh, that first round pick, I think they're out. And to kind of tie it into the Tom Brady at fourteen was the Buccaneers. So now 13 and 14 are no longer in the quarterback market in round one. That changes a lot because some people thought the Bucs might make a move up to get a quarterback in round one. So now pick 13 is the 49ers, pick 14 is the Bucs. I don't see the Bucs the Bucks taking trading for Tom Brady and then going out and, and drafting a rookie quarterback at pick 14 or making a trade up. They're going to get someone to compliment and help out Brady or help out that defense, and they're trying to win right now. So I think that changes. Now the only team in that teens area that could be looking quarterback, I think, is the Las Vegas Raiders. So that's an interesting thing because you had those three teams at 12, 13, and 14 that you all might that we all thought might be trade-up scenarios. And now I think the only one in that group is the Las Vegas Raiders if they see somebody that they really want and go up and get it. So I think there was a lot of ramifications of that trade uh, for DeForest Buckner and the signing of Phillip Rivers. Some other quarterback news I want to get into Teddy Bridgewater to Carolina like three years, like $63 million. I got to be honest with you. This is leaving my, scratching my head a little bit. I like Bridgewater. I think he can be a serviceable average starting NFL quarterback. That's what I've always thought about Teddy Bridgewater. But I don't really get what Carolina's trying to do because they seem to be breaking it down and going into full rebuild mode. But if they're going to go in the full rebuild mode, then I'm not sure I get signing Teddy Bridgewater to a three-year deal. Now I haven't seen the exact structure of the deal. Maybe it's something that they can get out of in one or two years. So they're thinking if he's not it, we could still draft the quarterback next year. Bridgewater could kind of be the veteran there to help the the rookie quarterback, whether he starts for a portion of the season or he becomes the backup at a really inexpensive price. It's a little bit confusing to me because if they were going full rebuild mode, I thought they would maybe just either, you know, run it back one more year with Cam Newton even though that might have impacted the wins and losses or they would have moved on from Cam Newton and they just would have kind of went with Kyle Allen and Will Greer or or something like that or if they did sign a quarterback like Bridgewater You know, or or a veteran, it would have been a one year deal, not a deal, you know, for Bridgewater, who's still relatively young, to a three year deal. So it leaves me a little bit confused. I do like the scheme fit with Bridgewater and then Joe Brady calling the plays. Obviously, Joe Brady from his time in New Orleans, I think, is familiar with with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I think in terms of what the Panthers want to do in terms of DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel are very good after the catch. Christian McCaffrey, obviously very good after the catch. I think it meshes with Teddy Bridgewater's skill set. I don't think Bridgewater is the guy who's going to push the ball vertically down the field. So I don't think Curtis Samuel is going to win too much vertically down the field. He's going to have to win the short to intermediate parts of the field and then make plays after the catch. But I think Br- Bridgewater is a very settling presence there. But I- I just don't know exactly what the plan is in Carolina. It seems to be off to a a confusing start with who they're releasing. They just released Eric Reed today, who they're releasing the, the thing that they said about Cam Newton, they made it seem like he wasn't interested in playing there and he came out and strongly denied that. So interesting signing. I don't think Bridgewater is anything more than a mid to low end QB two at best in terms of fantasy. So I don't think it really moves the needle in terms of fantasy football too much. Uh, staying with the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill stays in Tennessee. I think that was probably best for all parties. I still have my question marks on whether Ryan Tannehill is going to produce like he did down the stretch last year. I would not want to count on Ryan Tannehill any more than being a mid to high end QB two. And let's see if what he how he finished the year uh, is reality or not. I would not want to count on that. Also, Nick Foles just recently today traded to Chicago. I think that impact on that is we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be in Chicago, whether it's Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky. I think whoever it is, we're talking about mid to low QB two value, no value in one quarterback leagues, uh hurts Mitch Trubisky's value in dynasty leagues. I think if they're so quickly potentially moving on from him and they're gonna get give Nick Foles every opportunity to be the starter. Uh Gardner Minshew, I don't know if this means the Jaguars are now in play for a quarterback. I don't think Gardner Minshew is the long-term answer. Maybe they give him one year as the full-time starter. And if you know he struggles this year, then they're very much in the market for the 2021 NFL draft with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and whoever else uh, arises and emerges from that class. So I think right now Minshew is probably going to be the guy We'll see if the Jaguars now are pick nine are maybe in the quarterback market, whether it's Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, a trade up. I think it, I think it makes it possible that they are because I think the media and the, and the fans got more, you know, excited about Gardner Minshew. I'm not sure the Jaguars look at him and think he is the diamond in the rough and he's the next Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, date pick, who's going to be a guy who, uh, becomes a long-term starting quarterback. I don't see that with Gardner Minshew. I think the story was fun, but I think they're very much in need of a quarterback. Whether they get a, another veteran to compete with with him this year, I don't know. Whether they look to draft one or whether they give Minshew one year uh, as the full-time starter and then look into the 2021 NFL draft. Some other just quarterback things to talk about. I think this does open the door now for some interesting guys because we have Jameis Winston out there. We have... You know, Andy Dalton readily available, you know, in a trade. We have Cam Newton readily available in the trade or potentially being released. You look at the teams that need quarterbacks, it's New England. I don't really see Cam Newton or Jameis Winston as a fit in New England. Maybe Andy Dalton. There's been some rumblings about that. And then there's the Chargers, but the Chargers news came out right before I started recording this podcast that said the Chargers are kind of looking at Uh, right now, not signing a quarterback in in free agency, not trading for a quarterback and giving the job to Tyrod Taylor. To me, that screams out they're looking to draft one at the top of the draft. So I think that is a, if the Chargers don't go out and trade for a veteran, if they don't trade for Cam Newton or sign someone else, I think they're okay, Tyrod Taylor being the starter for the portion of the season, seeing how he does. But I think that puts them very much in the mix at pick six to take Jordan Love. Justin Herbert or potentially try to make a move up ahead of the Dolphins, whether that's with the Lions at three, the Redskins at two, or even or the Giants at four to try to take Tua. Okay. I think the Chargers now become a team at the top of the list with the Bengals obviously a pick one with Joe Burrow, the Dolphins, and now the Chargers in terms of looking to take a quarterback because we had that five, six, seven range that we don't were in the quarterback market. I don't, I, I don't think Carolina is in the quarterback market at, right now. I don't think they just gave Teddy Bridgewater a three-year, $63 million deal, and then they're going to go take Jordan Lover, Justin Herbert. I don't see that. So I think Carolina – so I think the early part of free agency has had a huge impact on the first 14 or so picks in this NFL draft because I think now the Panthers are no longer in the quarterback market at seven. I already talked about then 13, which was Indianapolis – they're not. Indianapolis is no longer picking there, so they're out of the quarterback market. Tampa Bay with Brady, I think, is out of the quarterback market. The only team that I might now say is in the quarterback market is the Jaguars. So I think the Chargers now, if they don't get someone, are very much looking to take a quarterback early on. I'm really intrigued you know, to, to see now the Panthers plans, I think they could be maybe looking at a guy, uh, a defensive tackle like Derek Brown in, in the first round. I think that's very much possible. I can see Tampa trying to get offensive line help for Tom Brady, uh, or a defensive piece to make their defense a little bit better. I can see the 49ers potentially looking for a wide receiver as an alpha wide receiver there to to go with Debo Samuel for the long term because now they're in position maybe for a Jerry Judy or a C.D. Lamb if they want to go that route. Uh, you know they can go a lot of different directions, 49ers. But I think now with that pick, they could very much be in the market potentially for that lead dog wide receiver, and let Debo Samuel still be that second piece at, at, as a wide receiver, do a lot of different things with. But they might not be now, maybe able to complement him for the long term and build around a, a top flight wide receiver prospect this year, Debo Samuel and George Kittle. And that be the foundation of Kyle Shanahan's pass offense moving forward and piece together the running backs with the guys they have. And, and you know, Shanahan's system really seems to produce whoever the backfield is in the backfield. So they can look at that and say, we don't need to invest heavily at the running back position, but we're going to set ourselves up with a star wide receiver, you know, the uh, star tight end and then Debo Samuel. So I think that's an interesting way that they could go Uh, so it's going to be interesting. This quarterback market is really, uh, something that I'm I'm interested to kind of see, uh, what happens here with the rest of the quarterback position. If we talk, uh, let's take this to the other biggest move I'm going to get, I'll go back to running backs in a second if we're just going for the positions, but we got to talk about the DeAndre Hopkins trade. One of the most stunning trades I could remember, uh, ever because there was no, Prior maybe the de- the morning of the legal tampering, Peter King came out with a story that said it was possible that he can be had, and I think most people brush it off as it would take a really big package. Well, it d- it didn't take a really big package. I mean, the Houston Texans make one of the most bewildering trades I've ever seen in my life as a football fan, trading DeAndre Hopkins and a fourth round pick to the Cardinals for David Johnson, a second round pick and a fourth round pick next year. So even though the, even if you say the fourth round picks cancel each other out, even though it hurts Houston because it's a year later for them, basically DeAndre Hopkins was traded for David Johnson and a second round pick, David Johnson and a second round pick. David Johnson, most people thought if he was traded, thought the Cardinals would have to add a pick to David Johnson similar to the Brock Osweiler trade years ago, just to take David Johnson off their hands at the cost he was. And rather than it being that, they somehow were able to, to A, get out of his entire contract and just add a second round pick to get one of the top five wide receivers. Some might say the best wide receiver or in the conversation as the best wide receiver in the NFL. Staggering trade. The fantasy and draft fallout from this. Let's start with the draft fallout first because it's less. The draft fallout is this. I don't think the Cardinals at pick eight are in the wide receiver market anymore. I think now they are strongly, even more so, in the offensive line market. I'd be stunned if they're looking at C D Lamb or somebody like or Jerry Judy at pick eight. I never thought they were anyway, but there was a lot of people connecting C. D. Lamb, Kyler Murray connection. So I don't think they were ever in the market. I think now definitively they're not with the Andre Hopkins and Christian Kirk and then investing multiple picks last year in wide receivers, Kishon Johnson, Andy Isabella in round two, Hakeem Butler, Fitzgerald's still there. I don't see any scenario. I think it would be foolish to waste another high-end asset on a wide receiver there. I think they're now locked into them getting one of the top four offensive tackles in this draft class, whether it's Tristan Wirfs, whether it's Mikai Becton, whether it's Andrew Thomas, you know, they're going to get one of the four, the top four, uh offensive tackles in this class, I'd be absolutely stunned now if they don't get one of those top guys. It just seems with this draft class of so many hot so many top end guys, potentially four in the conversation in the top twelve picks, I think it's a lock that they come out of this draft with one of them in the in the top ten of this round it It just seems inevitable that they either get like i said. Uh, I left out Wells Wills before, whether it's Wills Jr., whether it's Werfs, whether it's Thomas or Becton, I think that very much now is where the Cardinals go. The other impact is now, I think you got to think the Texans are very much in the wide receiver market for round two. They pick up that pick. This is a deep wide receiver class. Whether they look in the second round at a Michael Pittman Jr., at a Chase Claypool, at a a Donovan Peoples-Jones, a Brian Edwards, I think now they're very much in the wide receiver market because right now they have Will Fuller, wise on the field, very talented, but injured a lot. They have Randall Cobb, who they just signed to a three year $27 million contract. You know, they don't have a lot there. You know, they don't have a lot there. Kiki Kuti, you know, so I think they now, the narrative is they need to get a wide receiver potentially with that second round pick if they don't make another trade or, or sign a free agent, you know, uh, of something of significance. And I don't think there's much out there left in terms of significance. So I think those are the ramifications on the draft from that trade. Uh, In terms of dynasty value, I think DeAndre Hopkins stays about the same. I think his value stays about the same. Obviously, we got to see the rapport and the connection he has with Kyler Murray, but I think all in all, he's still a top three, top five dynasty asset at the wide receiver position. He's still in the conversation, top three, top five in terms of redraft leagues. Kyler Murray stock up. I mean, there's no way around it. Kyler Murray stock goes up. He adds a DeAndre Hopkins to the mix. And I mean, that. there's no way of denying now that I think he, if he wasn't already, he's now very much in the top five mix, whether it's dynasty or redraft. I think you can make the case, after Lamar Jackson. Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. If you want, if you want to say that you want Kyler Murray third in dynasty, I I can understand that. I could see putting him over Deshaun Watson, putting him over Russell Wilson based on his youth, the scheme, and now adding DeAndre Hopkins to the mix. I think it's a little bit of a risk over having him over guys that have been proven to be top five performers in Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, but I wouldn't blame anybody. I think he's now in the top five for sure. Uh, and his stock is up. Deshaun Watson, listen, I still love the player, love the player. Now, but it's impossible to say this doesn't hurt his value. Cause what if Will Fuller suffers another injury? I mean, I know Deshaun Watson adds a lot of value with his legs and rushing touchdowns and stuff like that. But I mean, this is, there's no way around it. They need to replace some of Deshaun, uh, DeAndre Hopkins value. I think this in the short term hurts Deshaun Watson a little bit. He might not be right there now behind Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. I think now he's clearly more not in that top tier with with those two guys, but now he's more in that next tier, whether that's with Kyler Murray, with Russell Wilson, you know, and that group, Dak Prescott. I think that's now where Deshaun Watson has to be pegged at the moment. So I do think it has a little bit of an impact in terms of his value moving forward in dynasty leagues, where I think before this trade, I would say he's right there. It was a clear top three in Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and, and Deshaun Watson. But now I think that's a little bit more up in the air in terms of will fuller i think this might give him more opportunity to see his stock look and see more consistent targets so i'll say stock up on him uh in terms of that so that's something that i think uh we'll see but for him it's all about his health you know if he stays healthy he could be a wide receiver too i think now he's locked into more targets so i think that's something you know of, of intrigue that that we'll be watching closely in terms of david johnson i don't know what david johnson has left you know last year it didn't look like much was he you know Whatever it was, whatever the case was, partially the O line, partially maybe injury, but he just looks slow at times. You know, and it's not like Houston has this great offensive line. Obviously they trade for Larry Tunsil, but their offensive line is still a work in progress. You know, they they have Duke Johnson there also in Houston, so I don't know if he's gonna be the guy who gets all the pass catching work because Duke Johnson's very good at that. So it's not like we can even overly rely on that. I think he's gonna get every opportunity to be the early belt cow. All the carries that Carlos Hyde saw, I think those are gonna be David Johnson's gonna get that opportunity. But David Johnson, even if he gets those, is not gonna go back to the guy that we saw a couple of years ago in fantasy and the reason why he was going in the top five or the top ten in redraft leagues last year. I think those days are gone. And even so, I thought maybe he could still get in a new landing spot and have a lot of value because of his pass-catching ability. But now I think that's even in question in, with Houston because of Duke Johnson. And Deshaun Watson just hasn't been a guy who, who's really checked down a lot. So I think it's very interesting to see how that plays itself out. I, I would say, obviously, being out of Arizona, I think it's a good thing because it looked like he wasn't going to get much of an opportunity there uh, because they did transition to Kenyon Drake. So I think Kenyon Drake's value... Mm-hmm. The, and the ramifications of this whole deal is stock up because now he doesn't have, you know, even David Johnson looming there. So I think definitely Kenyon Drake goes into the season as a strong RB2 who could produce as an RB1 if, in terms of if that offense really, you know, takes off under their second year there and the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. But I think David Johnson right now has to be looked at as a running back three, a wait and see. I wouldn't actively be looking to buy him in dynasty leagues. He's still a guy that, I think he's on the downslope of his career, uh, and it's hard to n- really know. I, I think he's going to get more rushing work for sure in Houston than Arizona. So in that regard, stock up, but he's not a guy that I feel confident saying is a strong buy. I think very much it- it's to be determined. In that regard, so I think that's an interesting scenario. I do think it now opens the door for Arizona. You know, maybe on day three, they they looked at a running back, a more physical running back, to kind of pair with Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds. But I could also see them. If so, it could be real late. It could be like around five to around seven pick. So not someone that I think really moves the needle too much uh, in terms of fantasy value. If we stay on the wire receiver position, there hasn't really been anything else of significance. I still think we're waiting on Robbie Anderson to sign that can move the needle a little bit in dynasty, Uh, Brashard Perryman, obviously really strong finish to the season last year. Where does he end up? He could be a guy that sees his value go up or down. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders. I still feel like he's destined to end up with new England as a guy who can play inside outside, have the versatility. They signed him years ago to a contract when he was a restricted free agent. So I can see, uh, those three wide receivers left potentially having an impact in terms of fantasy value and dynasty value. The only one that I think would really maybe impact the draft would be Robbie Anderson. If he leaves the Jets, I think the Jets could be more in the market for a wide receiver early. If he goes somewhere else, I could see him impacting the draft as well. If we take this to the tight end position, uh, the significant things of note is Austin Hooper signing with the Cleveland Browns. I think this is significant. I think this is significant on a couple fronts. I think one, it gives Cleveland another weapon there. Uh, Kevin Stefanski coming from Minnesota, likes to utilize the tight ends. Uh, I don't know what this does though for the other pass catchers. Cause it does, I think even take more targets potentially away from OBJ and Jarvis Landry. But I, you know, they have two really good running backs. One was really good in terms of pass catcher and Kareem Hunt. So they, they upgrade the offensive line with the signing uh, you know, of the top, offensive tackle in the free agent market. So I think, you know, they're a team that is going to be a better running game this year, you know, with that, with the addition on the offensive line, they now add a more proven, better tight end than they've had, uh, you know, with Austin Hooper, David Ajoku, while a lot of talent has been very inconsistent, you know, so I think that's something that really, uh, You know, is something that's intriguing, you know, so I think Austin Hooper loses some value. I think in with the, with the relationship he had with Matt Ryan and how much, you know, targets, uh, he saw in Atlanta, I'm not sure he's going to see that type of targets, uh, you know, moving forward. I think that's something that is going to be a little bit of a weight, you know, a little bit of a, you know, something that we don't know. Baker Mayfield is going to have all these weapons at his disposal. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to kind of see how it all shakes out because they have the two running backs and they have, you know, Jarvis Landry and they have, you know, uh, OBJ and all these guys and they still have David Njoku. And I don't think they're looking to trade David Njoku. I think they're going to do a lot of two tight end sets. So I really do think it's going to be interesting to kind of see how this shakes out because I do think it's something that we really are going to need to monitor closely, uh, in terms of what we hear, because I don't know if there's enough to go around, you know, with everything that they got going on right now. It's going to be something, uh, it's going to be something to follow closely. And the name escaped me before. Obviously, the big offensive line, uh, offensive tackle they signed was Jack Conklin, the top tackle on the market. So their running game is even going to be better last year than it was. So they're going to be a very good running team with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And now you add Austin Hooper to the mix. I think, I think dynasty value up on, on Baker Mayfield at this point there's no excuses. You got him a top of the line right tackle. You added a top six to top eight tight end on the market, uh, in the NFL, I should say. So yeah, a number one wide receiver in OBJ. You have a very good number two wide receiver in Jarvis Landry. So I think stock up on Baker Mayfield's value. We'll see if he can come back and bounce back after a down season last year and play more like he did in his rookie year. Uh I think in terms of Jarvis Landry and Odell, maybe the change in scheme and, and another weapon could open things up a little bit more for them, but it all depends. They're going to be a very good running team, I think this year, better than they were. And I just don't know if the addition of Hooper helps or hurts them. Uh, I could see it. Maybe being, them being more efficient, but at the same time, less opportunity. So I, I think it's a, a, basically a net equal there in terms of, uh, OBJ and Jarvis Landry. I think it's a a little bit of a stock down on, uh, Austin Hooper because I think Baker Mayfield is not the quarterback that Matt Ryan is right now. I think he could be, but not right now. I think the report of him and Matt Ryan, how it's very good. I think he was, you know, locked in as, one of the top three guys with the Falcons. And I still think he probably will be that with this team as well. Uh, because I think I said OBJ and that, but you also got to add in the much better run game that the Browns are going to have in a really good pass catching running back in Kareem Hunt. So I think that's the difference. This past year, Atlanta didn't have much of a run game. Uh, so Hooper really soared the, uh, lion's share of targets there after Julio Jones and then Calvin Ridley. So I, I think it hurts his value a little bit. So it'd be interesting in terms of on the flip side, the, 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 the next move, so to speak, after this was the Falcons giving up a pretty significant draft pick in a round two pick, the one they got from Mohamed Tanu, which is kind of like an extra luxury pick because they somehow were able to fleece the Patriots to give up a second round pick from Mohamed Tanu when he was worth more of a round four, round five pick. And then they used that pick in a trade with some other things involved. But the main thing was the Falcons giving up a second round pick to the Baltimore Ravens to get Hayden Hurts. This is intriguing. I'm intrigued with Hayden Hurst. He's a dynasty buy for me right now. Hooper, I think would I'd be, I'd be willing to sell if his value was high because I think he's never going to put up a season that he just did. But Hayden Hurst would be a buy. If you can buy Hayden Hurst at a reasonable cost right now, what is a reasonable cost? a early third round rookie pick, I think if you can buy him at that, and if you're really desperate, even a late second, because I think I'd rather have Hayden Hurst in the short term than any of the rookie tight ends that are going to be drafted this year, for sure. Going to an offense that utilizes the tight end a lot, which I think is significant. So, That's going to be something where I really, I liked Hayden Hurst a lot coming out in that draft class. I know people were down on him because he was an older rookie because he played minor league baseball, but I was excited for Hayden Hurst. Obviously then they drafted Mark Andrews that year who there's this narrative out there that people thought Mark Andrews was more of the blocker and Hayden Hurst was the pass catcher totally false narrative. Don't believe anywhere you sorted at. Mark Andrews was exclusively a receiver basically at Oklahoma. So he was always a pass catching tight end. Hayden Hurst, if anything, was a guy who was more expected to be more balanced, but he was also expected to be a good pass catcher, but he was a guy who was expected to be more in line. And we thought if they were going to go two tight ends, it was going to be exclusively Andrews as the pass catcher, which is what they have used him as exclusively. So any narrative that Mark Andrews was supposed to be the pass blocker and Hayden Hurst, the pass catcher is a false narrative, and people are are being forgetful in terms of what their skill sets were like coming out of uh, college and into the NFL draft. But Hayden Hurst is the guy who intrigues me because we know Matt Ryan likes the tight ends. We know the offensive scheme in Atlanta utilized the tight ends a lot. Besides Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, they don't have a lot in terms of pass catchers. You know, Maybe they're going to get a, a top flight running back, something I'll talk about momentarily, but right now they don't have much in terms of a pass catching running back. So I think Hayden Hurst is a, is a dynasty stock up. Uh, I think it takes the Falcons off of the tight end board in terms of maybe if they lost 2%, some people thought maybe they can invest in a tight end, the top 100 around four. I think that's out of uh, the narrative now for sure. So I think that in terms of The, the Raven side of it, I think Mark Andrews now gets more playing time. So I think his dynasty stock is up even a little bit more than it was. I mean, even if he, even if he increases his snap count by 20, 25%, that's significant. Look at the production he put up last year, only playing 45, 50% of the snaps. So even if he gets into the 65 to 70%, I think that might open up even more opportunities for Mark Andrews. So I think his stock is helped by the Hayden Hirsch trade. And in terms of other tight end news out there, I think we are waiting, uh, you know, I think we're waiting a little bit uh, in terms of where Eric Ebron signs. I think he's the last guy that can really move the needle a little bit uh, in terms of dynasty value. Okay, if we take this to the running back conversation, I think that's one. Uh, you know, actually, I should say one, two other tight end things. Jason Witten signed in Oakland. I don't think that moves the needle at all. He should be the number three tight end after Darren Waller and Foster Moreau. Because they almost gave him $5 million, I would think that he might play more than Foster Moreau, which I think is a mistake. I don't think he has any fantasy value. And I will say the Dallas investing in Blake Jarwin, as much as they did when they didn't need to this off season, I think does speak volume. So he's an intriguing guy, you know, that if he starts playing significant snaps with Jason Witten now, no longer there, I think the Dallas offense is set up to be very productive. You know, they lost Randall Cobb. They obviously brought back Amari Cooper. Uh, I think Blake Jarwin could be a guy who could be an intriguing mid number, mid tight end two type, uh, to low tight end two type. So just keep that on the back of your radar. So if if we take this to the running backs, you know, let's start right at the top. We already talked about David Johnson, that impact. We talked about Kenyon Drake and that impact. Uh, Derrick Henry, again, the franchise tag. I think this does still leave open the possibility on day two for the Titans to take a running back and say, you know what? We're going to ride Derrick Henry for this year, and then we're going to let him walk in free agency at like 28 years old, a lot of mileage on the tires. Uh So I don't think it takes them out of the possibility if if, if a guy like Jonathan Taylor sitting there at the end of round two doubt it after his combine, but maybe they like another guy or maybe they like A.J. Dillon in the end of round three or somebody, I could see them still taking a running back in the top four rounds. Uh, I think round two might be a little rich, but maybe round three or round four. Uh, but they they are so built around that run game that if the right guy is there at the bottom of round two, I don't think they'd be I don't think it'd be crazy for them to invest in it knowing that this is going to be Derrick Henry's last year there. Uh, Jordan Howard in Miami, two year $10 million, I don't think this moves the needle at all. I still think the Dolphins take a running back either with their third first round pick in the 20s or Or on in the second round, I think they're very much still come away with one of the top five running backs in this class. I think Jordan Howard is just a veteran, stable presence. Add to the mix, the Dolphins have tons and tons had tons and tons of cap space, so I think they were able to invest it in a running back. I'm sure that that second year is mostly not even guaranteed. So if they invest in a rookie this year, it could be you know similar to Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard. This was supposed to be this year. I could see it being similar next year where Jordan Howard and the rookie you know split the ring maybe favoring the rookie as as the year goes on. Uh, and then in year two, it's exclusively the rookie. So I don't think the Jordan Howard, uh, signing moves the needle at all in terms of the impact on the draft, you know, whatsoever. So I think that, uh, is something that I think some people maybe thought that the Jordan Howard signing changed things. I don't think it impacted anything whatsoever. Uh, Obviously, running backs that are still out there that can move the needle. Uh, Melvin Gordon. I don't know what team. There's not a lot of teams that are in need of a running back. Atlanta needs a running back. You know, maybe Tampa Bay needs a running back. If they, you know, want to move, add to Ronald Jones, maybe Detroit wants another running back to go with Kerryon Johnson. Maybe Buffalo wants another running back to go with Devin Singletary. Maybe Carolina wants another running back to go with Christian McCaffrey. I don't see Carolina obviously going after Melvin Gordon with Christian McCaffrey, uh, could Buffalo Sure, They might look at it as, as their win. Now team, Melvin Gordon and Devin Singletary are a nice one to punch They're a team that wants to run the ball a lot. I couldn't, I can't see Detroit making a big investment in Melvin Gordon. I can see Tampa. I can see Tampa. They're the team now with Brady in full blown win. Now mode. I can see them getting Melvin Gordon. And then, like I said before, first round pick offensive lineman and go for it. Uh, there's also a lot of rumors out there about Todd Gurley. And I think Todd Gurley is an interesting guy that could come into play here where Todd Gurley could be a guy as a, a potential trade candidate. Maybe he's in the market at with Tampa Bay as a guy who could, you know, be had, even though he's got a monster contract attached to him. So I think that's something of intrigue as well. So Gordon, the, You know, Todd Gurley trade rumors, Devontae Freeman's out there, Carlos Hyde. These guys could still have value depending on where they land, but it's going to be interesting because not a lot of teams are in need of running backs. Like I said, Atlanta is Miami could use someone else and those other teams that I talked about. And then you got this deep, deep running back class of superstars potentially in the top two rounds. These guys are, are, are considered potentially, you know, bell cow back some of them or lead committee guys, guys that can turn in to really good top 10, top 12 running backs in all of football and all of fantasy. So I don't know who's investing big money in some of these free agents that are out there. It's going to be very interesting to see what the Melvin Gordon market is. It's going to be very interesting to see if Todd Gurley gets traded. And I think Devontae Freeman and Carlos Hyde probably end up selling for one-year deals as backups or, or add to a committee. Like I said before, Detroit or Carolina or Buffalo, uh, those are maybe some of the best landing spots for some of these older veterans with a lot of wear on their tires. So it's going to be interesting in terms of the draft. I still think Atlanta in round two is locked in probably to a running back. One of the top five guys I think ends up in Atlanta. I already talked about Miami and then I talked about some of those other teams that could be looking for a running back to add to the mix, but it's hard to even find where these top five running backs go in the NFL draft. Let, and that's without even having a landing spot yet for Melvin Gordon. A landing spot for maybe a potential trade or cut, you know, Todd Gurley, you know, so it's going to be interesting to kind of see who invests in running backs. These rookie running backs aren't going to end up in ideal spots where they get bell cow work right from day one. One or two of them might, but not all five of them. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see where this goes with those guys. I think it's going to be fascinating to kind of follow this and, and see what happens, uh, the rest of the way guys. So there it is. Like I said, we are Wednesday early evening right now. So there's a lot more that could still happen in free agency. If a lot more happens that impacts the NFL draft or dynasty values, I'll come back on later this week and do another podcast to break it all down. Uh If not, next week, we'll get back into more draft talk, uh, emphasizing again, breaking down everything for the 2020 NFL draft. Because as of now, the draft is still scheduled to go on as is no fans obviously, but the draft itself is still scheduled to go on. So we'll still be here. Wall to wall coverage as we always are for the NFL draft guys. We really could use some help in terms of the support. If you haven't, uh, if you previously have purchased the notebooks in years past and haven't done so yet, we greatly appreciate uh, you checking them out and buying them again. If you're a fan of the podcast, uh, we greatly appreciate you supporting us. It's our lifeblood, guys, for us continuing to do what we're doing. We never wanted to just create a Patreon account and ask for money uh, just to help us cover you know our expenses and costs. We wanted to give you a lot of something uh, for all the for, for, for some money. And that's where we started all these notebooks. So if you love the work we're doing, please get over to the website. SS football is the quickest way to get there. Uh, for nine 99, you get access to four notebooks. You get to immediately get the 2020 scouting notebook and rankings notebook player profiles and over 90 players strengths, developmental areas, functional areas, NFL role, NFL fit, NFL draft projection, how they win fantasy spin, you know 90 guys almost closing in on 100 plus so many guys who didn't declare that we have all our thoughts on those guys as well the Travis Ethians of the world, the Chava Hubbards, and Ajay Harris. Uh, you get the rankings notebook, which has all our rankings draft eligible, our tiers, our Debbie rankings. It'll be where our dynasty rookie rankings are as well. And then you still get two more notebooks you get the freshman, the Notebook, uh, where Matt does that, where he breaks down a lot of the top incoming freshmen, and then you get the draft projections notebook where I have tabs for every player, offense and defense, how I expect it to go from everything I'm hearing, notes on every player, uh, their combine measurements. And their, and their testing numbers, and then a, a tab for my projected top 32, top 100, and trying to project every pick in the NFL draft. So please get over to the website uh, if you can and help support us. It, it greatly means a lot to us, and it's the lifeblood of us continuing to do what we're doing. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.